and very extensive pre-selection. It wasn't just one interview, it went on for a number of months and, and we, we didn't know who was selecting us and who not was selecting us, but it was not one event. In 1971, I was uh, posted to Ghana to uh, teach school in a, uh, a school called, uh, or in a village called uh, Asamankasi in the Ashanti region. Uh, we were in London, Ontario for extensive orientation, and uh, the day before we got on the plane, there was a poster, or a notice on the, on the, on the uh, bulletin board indicating that there was two or three of us that had our posting changed and I was one of them and as a result I ended up still going to Ghana but I went to Hafasini. So postings also changed very, you know, were very, you know, in a very fluid kind of uh, manner. So things may have not changed as much as you might think you need Okay. <laughs> uh, so I taught school in, uh, in a village called Hafasini. In Ghana, the Fanti called it uh, Ewiano, the end of the road. Uh, I think that's the correct word. Maybe that's not the, the correct pronunciation. Uh, because at that time, uh, it, was, it was the farthest, way, the farthest away from Accra you could get along the coast. It was uh, uh, 100 and some miles from Takarati and 250 miles from uh, Accra. 250 bone-shaking miles from <laughs> uh, that, that, that might be me, yeah. I, uh, I haven't always been so well endowed. Uh, <laughs> um, I took a, a couple of slides to get them uh, 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 scanned today, and apparently the guy put the one in upside down. So I have done you the favor of reversing it for you. So that was the, uh, that was the sign gate at uh, the Hapasini Secondary School uh, telling you when the visiting hours were and that it was a no thorough fair. We didn't, we, we worked, I mean, you, you all know that, that QSO people always are extremely dedicated put all of their time into their post. Everything, that every waking moment is done to further the uh, project that they're involved in. Uh, and I don't know how we managed to squeeze it in, but there was seven <laughs> weeks that we took to travel through seven countries one summer on uh, our powerful Honda motorcycles powered with uh, 125 cc engines. Who are the other people in the picture? Uh, we, I started off with, uh, I'm, on the, I'm on your left, uh, uh -huh. uh, the middle guy is from Seattle, Washington, and the guy on the right was from Kalamazoo, Michigan. Wow. Uh, they were Peace Corps. We drove to uh, uh, Nigeria and picked up a, a Canadian there to balance the team off. Unfortunately, Roller, the guy in the middle, had his motorcycle stolen in Joss, and uh, and so he had to bail out on the trip. Uh, we, we continued, we went through, uh, we started in Ghana, went through Togo, Benin, saw a, a good part of Nigeria. We didn't get to the Benue, or to the, uh, to the, uh, uh, the Delta area. That's one area we didn't get to, but we got through most of the rest, but uh, Niger, Burkina Faso, back into Ghana, over to Cote d'Ivoire, 
and then back to Ghana. Wow. So we did about 5,000 miles. Anybody in Canada that thinks that Canada's big, hey, you ain't seen nothing yet. Come to Africa, you'll see a big continent. I'm going to fast forward. I, I, I came home in 1973. Uh, I did go through a year of, uh, of uh, adjustment, you might say. I think in, within the first 12 months I was back in Canada, I stayed in about eight different places. I held down about five different jobs until I finally got a job working. For, I was up in the Northwest Territories in a couple of places. I was, I was pretty messed up, quite frankly. Uh, but I ended up back here in Saskatchewan, worked for First Nations people for five years after that. And uh, in the middle of that, I ended up going back to Africa and uh, getting married. And of course, having a family, these are my three kids that are all now in Africa. Wow. Uh, they all grew up here in Canada. They were all born here in Canada, but they're all, they, by choice, have, have returned to Ghana, to, to, to uh, Africa. Two of them are in Ghana, and one is in Zanzibar. Oh. And I was just over there a couple months ago to meet her, to visit her. She's the youngest one, the one on the one your right. Uh, she and her partner are in uh, Jambiani, a village. Uh, That's where my daughter is. Really? Yeah. Who's your daughter? Narina. Oh, I might even met. I know your daughter. <laughs> no yes. way. How long has she been there? Eight months. Yeah. With yeah. Mama Pat. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. She came over and had supper with us one night. That's Why didn't you just ask me? Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> is she okay? She's, she's doing fine. Right. She was doing really good. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> um. So over the next uh, 30 years, approximately, I went back and forth to Ghana a number of times. Uh, one of the places that uh, had always uh, attracted me was the village of Buzia, which is, uh, has been known as a destination for travelers for many years because of its uh, wonderful sandy beach. And uh, it's, it's about a two mile long beach there, it's beautiful. And so in, in 2001, we moved back to Ghana, and somehow <laughs> the translation from my Mac to this PC isn't get doing the colors very good, but anyway, um, we built a hotel in 12 months and opened it. That we are opened uh, in December of 2002, uh, looking a little bit scruffy, <laughs> but we were open for business. Uh, this is a much more recent picture. Can we come visit? Uh, certainly, no, I, I hope so. Pardon me. It's called Aquaba. No, no, that's Aquaba is the uh, the uh, oh. the fancy or the Akan word for welcome. Okay. The hotel is called the African Rainbow Resort, and uh, this young woman here is my older daughter who is managing the hotel. I hope. <laughs> and uh, she and her her partner actually uh, sitting beside her is an American. And she and Bill are uh, pioneering uh, live music on the rooftop. You can see the thatched roof on the top of the hotel there that wasn't there before. Uh, there's a bar up there and uh, live music every weekend. So uh, by all means, bring your dancing shoes when you come. How much is a room there in Canadian dollars? For you? Oh, man, we've got a deal for you. <laughs> you're doing a podcast, so other people will be here. <laughs> you know, for, for anyone coming with uh, you know, QSO, VSO reference, 
we have special accommodations for you. All right. <laughs> Thank you. You may end up having to uh, wash dishes in the kitchen to earn it, but... At least we'll have dishes. You never know what might happen uh, when you go to Africa. And uh, in 2004, I returned from a visit to Canada. And uh, this gentleman here uh, in the cloth standing beside me, um, that, that photo was taken some time back in the 80s. Uh, Nana Asiyama Gusha Ababio is the uh, chief of New Dibyasi. And uh, he came to see me and asked me if I would come and serve in his traditional council. And uh, I took several months to consider it, but I finally agreed to do that. And you can see me hiding in the back there. Uh, at his left-hand side, uh, close to him, which uh, is actually one of the preferred seats in the traditional council. And uh, there I am. <laughs> so when you go to Ghana, I guess all, all the potential recruits have left, so I, you, know, you never know how it's going to turn out. Yes. Um, a year or so after that, we saw a need in, in the uh, Amudrasi, in the, 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 my wife's home village actually, of Amudrasi for a daycare center. They, there was a, a woman had already started a uh, daycare center with no money and strictly voluntarily. Um, and no, she started off, uh, one of the churches allowed her to uh, take her kids and, uh, and, and use one of the, the church during the week. But then they, then they got some money uh, and uh, bought new windows for the church, and then they didn't want to have their windows broken, so they said, well, no, you'll have to take your kids somewhere else. <laughs> and so then for the next, I don't know how many months, a year or so, uh, she had the kids under the shade of some oil palm trees until the person that owned that land said, well, I'm going to build a, a house here, and he knocked down the palm trees, and she had no place to keep these kids. And uh, so... We set about raising some money. We did actually get some funds from CETA, but not enough. And uh, CETA, in their wisdom, have changed the way that they uh, designate money. And uh, we have been raising it somewhat to, to get the money for the cement and you know the things that they can't provide themselves. With it's just not enough cash. So it's community labor put it up, and uh, we had foreseen originally a building with uh, three rooms, um, and we've got one room, it's actually, a, a, one room is actually two rooms, I should say, so I guess there's room, four rooms. We've got the first two up. The other two are still at the foundation level, waiting until we get enough money to, to proceed. The kids are there, we've got 90 kids, two people looking after 90 children aged two to four. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you, uh, the, the woman that looks at him is absolutely just the most delightful person. I wish I spoke Chi properly because she doesn't speak any English. But she's absolutely incredible with those kids. They, they worship her. <laughs> if you can imagine 90 well-behaved little <laughs> children like this, it's absolutely incredible. How much does it cost to build that building? Do you remember? I think we put about $20,000 into it and a lot of volunteer work. And if we had another 20, I, I know I would do it. I could probably do it for less than that. I, 
I would do the rest with, instead of using so much cement, I bought a, I personally bought a pressed earth block maker, which my son is now using at his place. And it, you, you just use a small amount of cement just to uh, stabilize the, the blocks. And so for less than that, I could put up the, ne the, the other two buildings. And I've got some of that now. We've got we've been raising money. In fact, um, we we uh, established the Africa Sankofa Fund here in Canada so that people could get tax uh, tax uh, credit if they for their donations. And we've been raising money to uh, to proceed with that project and any and other projects that are coming up as well. Um, and in fact, today. I just happen to have with me, for anyone who's interested, uh, oh, great. Thank you. copies of uh, this little book, uh, which I, as a collection of some of my poetry, and uh, I'm selling for $10, and the money goes towards the Sankova Fund. So I, anybody wants some, I have some here. I have another uh, project that uh, has come to me uh, a couple of years ago, and it's still very much at a proposal stage. The uh, New Dubiasi, the town is uh, uh, the capital, well, yeah, I guess it's called the capital of the Nancy uh, uh, South uh, District, has a couple hundred villages that are under the traditional <coughs> government uh, that are in uh, under my chief's jurisdiction. Um, and uh, as, 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 you, as is the case almost everywhere in the world, including Canada, there's a lot of people rushing off to the cities and leaving the villages because they can't get jobs. There isn't enough land left for people to farm anymore. And uh, so it's a matter of finding and creating jobs, creating meaningful work. Uh, I was approached with the idea of, of establishing a cultural center for um, New Dubiasi. They said, well, you know, we've got people that could learn these crafts, you know, learn crafts and teach crafts and this and that. And I said, well, that's, that's very nice. But I, I know from reading about cultural centers in other parts of the world that cultural centers are not self-sustaining. They don't, they need, they, they need a constant influx of money to keep them rolling. So I suggested that we change the proposal to one that would include a, a, performing, a school for performing arts and invite Ghanaian students from across the country, but also foreign students. I mean, we see the, the number of young people that are coming to Ghana right now to attend universities for one term or two terms or for a year is just amazing. We've got students from Canada, students from the US, students from uh, from Europe, they come and, and by all means, if you have got a, uh, a dedicated school that's doing, that's specializing in, in traditional and contemporary African drumming and dance, uh, you know, uh, and, and also catering towards uh, uh, oh, film, video, uh, drama, you know, theater, by all means, I, we could we could get. I'm sure we could easily attract a couple hundred students there, and in, in doing so, we could easily create some serious new jobs. Um, one of the ideas that 
I have incorporated into the proposal is to design the buildings to reflect the traditional architectural design of the Ashanti people. There is only, uh, well, there's one building that has been restored in 1998, I think it was, uh, the Bessiasi uh, Shrine. And uh, there's a couple other buildings that are, that are also shrines in various parts of the Ashanti region. They're the last remaining uh, examples of traditional Ashanti uh, architecture. Most people in Ghana have no idea that there was such a thing. They've never seen it. This, these pictures here are uh, pictures of Magic Palace, the palace of the Ashanti king, the uh, Ashanti king. Um, taken, uh, pictures taken in the, uh, about 1850 or so. I think just before the British burned it down. The other pictures, um, Oh yeah, this is one another one of these slides that didn't work out on this thing here. Uh, this, these, these uh, drawings at the top was actually a, a watercolor done by the first Obrini, the first white guy to show up in uh, Kumasi in the in 1810 or something like that. He was the first white man, and fortunately for us. He was very artistic, and he did line drawings, and he did watercolors as well. And he came back, and, and he came back with a, a description of Kumasi. He could not believe this beautiful city with big, wide streets. The the houses are feature this very high-pitched, thatched roof, and you can see all the ornate designs that are that are on on them. The Bessiasi Shrine. These pictures are not coming out very well here. Uh, still incorporates many of that, or you, both of those those features. So I, I'm suggesting that why not build it using that that unique style? It will reinforce uh, pride in, in Ashanti heritage, and will make it a, make it a, a tourist attraction in itself. People come just to see it uh, because it'll be unique. <coughs> Uh, just a couple things about Ghana in the time since I first went to went there in 1971. Population of Ghana was 8.9 million. Uh, Accra, the capital city, uh, had about 250,000 people living in it. Uh, the telephone service, for those of you uh, that were in, in Ghana in the 70s and 80s, was virtually non-existent. Um, certainly, out in the rural areas, forget it. It just didn't happen. And the electrification was limited to the major rural areas, or urban areas, I should say. Accra, Kumasi, Takaradi, that was it. Um, I had a slide that uh, I took of, of a village that was within, from, from the village you could see the Akasambo Dam, the big hydroelectric uh, dam that was built in the 50s uh, under Kwame Nkrumah's uh, reign. And, uh, the, the people were without electricity within, oh, half a mile of this hydroelectric dam. That was, that was in 1971. Um, this year, we went from 8.9 million, I mean, we're doing a census right now. I think officially they're saying it's 23 million. This year when the census comes out, we'll find out what it really is. A friend of mine 
worked on the last one, he, he's projecting about 26 million. Accra went from a quarter of a million to six million uh, people. And so you can, that, that gives you some idea the proportion of people that are moving to the cities has increased dramatically. Uh, mobile phone service now, it's not unusual to walk through uh, many, many villages and see the kids, the teenage, young teenagers walking around with the phone on their neck, you know, on their, on their ear. They're attached permanently, you know how it is. Just like it is here. Yeah, like it is here, exactly. Uh, there's four major uh, companies that are providing uh, mobile phone service. We now are able to in access the internet at high speed in uh, Busia, where our hotel is, in New Dibiasi, where, where uh, my chieftaincy is, um, and just very recently out in Cape Three Points, where my son is, where they don't even have electricity yet. One of the phone, one of the phone companies put up a tower a few months ago, and uh, he now is able to access me on high speed from uh, a re very remote village in Ghana, and, and we can Skype back and forth. The changes are absolutely amazing. And the country is now at least 60% electrified. So that's a huge change. And, and, and it's expanding every year. Each district assembly is given enough power poles to electrify five more villages. So every, every year there's another five villages in each of the district assemblies. And I forget how many there are assemblies there are in the, in the country, a couple hundred anyway. So every year, five more villages, five more. So eventually, the, the country be electrified. So uh, some questions uh, that, that come to me, or to my mind, uh, if you uh, have been following what's going on in Ghana, you know that uh, oil starts to flow the last quarter of this year from the offshore oil field. Uh, and for, for many people, they say it's going to be a blessing. For many people, Many other people, they say, no, it could be a, a big problem, much as it has been for uh, virtually every other African country has, it's been a big problem, a bigger problem than it's been a solution. Um, Ghanaians are, are extremely aware people. Really, the awareness there is greater on many issues politically than in this country. Um, so I'm hopeful that Ghanaians will insist that the government of Ghana do the right thing. But we also know that it's not just the government of Ghana, it's companies like BP that can spoil a good thing big time for everybody. Um, I just threw in the middle one there. Uh, for anyone who's watching the Mayan calendar, uh, the countdown's on, guys. Uh, we've got another uh, year and uh, yes. how many months? Um, and by all, by all means, I, I quite believe that there are changes in the works and uh, whether or not we're going to be ready, they're coming. And then Yamita has already uh, made reference to the Millennium Development Goals. What are our chances in five years of getting to them? Uh, not even in Ghana. Ghana is probably the best hope there is on the continent of Africa. So, there you go. Well, thank you. I'm going to save that PowerPoint so that I can oh. keep it for our 50th anniversary. Right.